Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, Eden. Hi, Ioni. And hello to the listeners. Welcome to the Polyester Podcast. I'm Ioni, I'm the founding editor-in-chief of Polyesterzine and the author of Poor Little Sick Girls. And I'm Eden, I'm the managing editor of Polyester and the co-host of this podcast. This is the Sleepover Club, a feminist pop culture podcast where we pull apart the hashtag discourse in the hope of making some sense of it all. Before we get started, please like, rate, review and subscribe. Do we have any reviews? We do, we do, we do! Five stars, love. We need more witty and funny women-led podcasts like this. That is by Issa by Apple Podcasts in the UK. Thank you, Issa. I probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So today is a bit of a different episode. We are re-upping a episode from 2020, I think it is. Yeah. May 2020. A lot of you lot are probably new listeners and maybe didn't hear this one before but the reason that we're re-upping it is because of all of the awful stuff that is happening to trans people both in the UK and in the US this week. Eden would you like to provide a little bit more context? Yeah so we decided to re-upload this podcast mainly I mean you know the whole shit show has been going on for a very long time but the whole um the story about the teenager Brianna guy that was I think that's how you pronounce her name I think there was someone a few kind of tweets floating about where people were pronouncing her name wrong um who's a trans teenager who was murdered at the weekend Uh, she's 16 years old and she was murdered by two 15 year olds in Warrington just really really horrible and it just seems like this, the disgusting way that people treat trans people, especially in this country, has just got so much worse in the past couple of years. Yeah, and like death has kind of sparked lots of protests and lots of vigils and like renewed discussion about the way that trans people are treated in this country, both by like the government and the media and the wider general public. This episode in particular is an interview with the writer Hannah Ewens as she did a long read about how, basically about how turf culture was culture was cultivated by the mainstream UK media and has divided British feminists. So we think it's really timely to re-up it now as so much of this rhetoric, so much of this like hate speech and hatred has been in, not only endorsed, but literally like pioneered by the UK press, both on the right side of the press, the left side of the press, and by certain famous authors who we shall not (laughs) name. (laughs) No, we will, for fear of being sued. But yeah, it's basically just like 
awful. And I think sometimes it's really hard to get to the crux of like how instrumental turf culture actually is and like how much it has contributed to like the worsening of real people's lives of trans people's lives and it's like entirely unacceptable and as you know me and Eden are both cisgender women it's like important to interrogate our role in you know not perpetuating but like upholding and silent like staying silent when these things happen which obviously is not a stance point we want to take at polyester and then kind of another um, narrative that's been playing out during this week is that the New York Times has been criticised for their stance towards trans people. There was an open letter that was signed by nearly 200 New York Times contributors um, and people affiliated with the title, denouncing the paper's anti-trans coverage. And that was earlier this week. And then the day after that was sort of made public, that letter they put up an op-ed called In Defense of J.K. Rowling, which was basically outlining the fact that they consider J.K. Rowling not to be transphobic. This is all off the back of the fact that J.K. Rowling has a new podcast. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got a really like stupid It's name. called... Um, the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. I mean... <laughs> the, uh, like, the, there's, there's just no words. There's yeah. literally no words. So... We just thought it's a good time to, you know, revisit this conversation. Maybe a lot of you haven't heard it before. Even if you have, it's probably like a good chance to re-listen to it, as I definitely forgot loads of the talking points from it. Um, Because this was from 2020, it's me and Olivia. So you'll get to hear Olivia's voice and also Hannah, who's being interviewed. But um, as always, the main thing is like solidarity with our transgender siblings, solidarity with transgender and non-binary people everywhere. And if you are not trans or non-binary, show up for these people in your lives and in every way you can. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Ione. And hello, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Welcome to the Polyester Podcast. I'm Ione and I'm the founder and the editor-in-chief of Polyester, an online imprint and basically anywhere you see polyester. We're also joined today by Hannah Ewins, who is an editor at Vice UK, a beloved polyester contributor, and anyway, Olivia, you're here as well. (laughs) I'm here, I'm Olivia, I'm the co-host, producer and editor of the podcast, and the reason that we have Hannah on this episode this week is because she wrote an article for Vice about the transjectory of like the transphobic media at the moment, but also a bit more historically and... Ione and I thought it was really important that we have the conversation around the attack on trans bodies in the media because in particular the way the conversation is happening is that like it shuts down any kind of progress or any conversations about the implications so we really wanted to like open that up and also acknowledge the conversation and what we can do as cis women in the media. Yeah, we discussed getting obviously a trans person on to speak about this but our priority at polyester is to always give people the space they need to to talk about the things they need to and we've been having a lot of conversations Olivia and I and also more widely editorially about you know how we respond to everything that's going on and Olivia and I came to the conclusion that particularly as cis gendered women it's so important for us to take up these conversations and take up the labor of these conversations with people and then allow our trans contributors and the people that we value 
so dearly that are gender non-conforming, transgender or non-binary to have the space on this podcast or on polyester to talk about whatever they want, whether that's their own identities or things that make them joyful. But at the end of the day, we don't need to have a trans person on to validate their existence or to talk about why their existence is valid. It's important for us as cisgender women to be able to challenge this transphobia that is happening by other cisgender women. And I think before we start, I'd like to signpost that if you did want to go and kind of indulge in some media that is us talking to trans and non-binary people, then we have the episode with Tom Rasmussen that was our first Obsessions of the New Season. We also spoke to Wednesday Holmes if you want to listen to more like practical tips from a trans perspective on how we can tackle this kind of hate speech. We have also spoken to Travis Alabanza in the past, Charlie Craggs, ContraPoints. So I would definitely recommend going back and listening to all those episodes so you get a good rounded view and that you're not kind of just consuming media about trans people when it's about stupid people being gross. Hannah, do you want to start by talking about your article a little bit? Yeah, so um, it was always going to be called The Great British Turf War. And then J.K. Rowling obviously called her letter, her open letter that she posted on her blog. She called it Turf Wars, which was really, really weird timing because I'd already been working on this piece for like on and off for like a couple of months, three months. But yeah, so the piece is basically looking at like how transphobia in British media has sort of got more of a through line than I think a lot of young people might realise. So I kind of start off looking at the Hampstead Ponds thing, which everyone who's sort of followed trans issues in the British media will know about, and kind of look at how what actually happened there very briefly. And I spoke to someone who works at a voluntary board for like the ladies pond. And she was basically just like, of course, trans women are allowed in the pond. And like, she seemed actually quite annoyed that like, the media had blown it up into this bigger thing trans women have written about how like transphobia is they have experienced it at the ponds but I think that like the thing that I wanted to talk about there is how like the British media will see these things and like blow them up into like such a I guess like quote-unquote like culture war situation deliberately like making it into something that is very volatile and then I just kind of I spoke to different trans writers about their experience of like working in a British transphobic media landscape, how they got into it and why they got into it. And and then I kind of looked at The Guardian as like a case study for, I guess, like where anti-trans sentiment and the whole trans debate has sort of like caused a, a lot of friction within their workspace. And it's something that I'd like followed in the media. So I wanted to like, touch on that and it was something that came up a lot because one of the writers was Sean Fay that I spoke to and she stopped writing for The Guardian because of their their view on the Gender Recognition Act reforms which yeah so it kind of was leading that way anyway so I had like this piece about British anti-trans sentiment in the media particularly about like British feminists and like gender critical feminists and then I kind of had it ready to go and then everything happened with JK Rowling doing her essay and it became like a really really bad week for trans people in the media yeah and like outside of the media 
with like regulations in the UK and the US happening and so that's what I felt like the right time to put it out. I think like especially as people that kind of work in this arena anyway or you know are kind of in touch with these conversations it's kind of obvious the like dog whistling especially in JK Rowling's essay like all of the arguments she has put forward is so obvious like anti-trans rhetoric that's been kind of circulating on the internet for like the past few years but I think if you work in the media and if you're not trans it's kind of hard to understand the like wider implications of these writers work because if you think about it like the writers you mentioned you can kind of just dismiss them as being like yeah there's they're these kind of like women that write for a left-wing newspaper how far do their like opinions really spread and how quickly but like what did you find when writing the article because I know it's like awful trying to bring up these issues even if they're kind of okay on other issues they're very deeply entrenched in these views that like women's rights are being taken away by trans people and it's so deeply ingrained in a way that I think lots of people don't realize or it's hard to understand the wide scope of it yeah that was a big thing that I was realizing like again and again looking back over some of these columns that deal with these issues which usually it's like there's like a pattern with it and it'll be usually if it's a cisgender writer they'll be speaking about like kind of like JK Rowling did, like speaking about their assault or abusive relationships or rape, kind of things that are like, it's hideous that any woman is going through those things. So like most of the articles say will be that. And then it will kind of twist at the end. And it will be like, it will basically set trans people and their experiences, which are often crossover with cisgender women's experiences, and kind of set them side by side as something very separate, like, trans women aren't women because like this is my pain and like I think the really horrible relatability of like of the pain of being in like abusive relationships or being raped these kind of things like as a reader or someone consuming that it's very overwhelming it kind of like it appeals to like your emotions and like maybe you've been through something similar or like your friend or your girlfriend or or like your mum or someone has been through something similar and it's sort of like it's a wave and it kind of hits you and I think it it's a very like emotional and quite I don't want to say manipulative because it is it isn't necessarily like overtly manipulative but it, it does it others trans women in a very like not in an obvious way in a sort of it's the sort of thing so like if I hadn't have read a lot of stuff about trans issues like I could easily years ago have read JK Rowling's essay and thought yeah like that kind of makes sense you can read most of it and be like yeah that makes sense like we really do need to protect um you might think like we do need to protect single sex spaces but like I think it's something that's happening like on a very emotive level it's quite insidious and that's why I think it's really important for like cisgender women and feminists to like really push like tackle break it down and see what actually is the messaging in these pieces and kind of push back against it yeah totally what you're saying Hannah as well the real complexity of it is anti-trans like narratives in the media have become like one of the like few spaces where we talk about violence against cis women so people are like 
all their sympathy for violence against women is like being then challenged into anger against trans people when like that's just a totally separate conversation like if we want to talk about male violence against women then we need to talk about like the blatant presence of it against cis women against trans women like we need to talk about male violence but all of a sudden there's like one pocket on the in- of the internet dedicated to male violence and transphobia so it's like really channeled so it's just so so toxic that we can only talk about one thing if it means attacking someone more marginalized when actually like we're not challenging male violence by being transphobic we're being transphobic Mm. not us you know like this kind of like the ongoing situation in the media why do you think it like kind of started to gain such prominence with these yeah like broadsheet newspaper journalists who are all of a similar age and like a similar social circle like kind of like why did they decide that this was the hill to die on I suppose that's like a huge question around JK Rowling as well with like everything literally anything she could do and I'm sure she's sitting in her like Scottish mansion absolutely chilling the fuck out like why and it is very specific like not to be ageist very specific to like middle-aged white British women yeah I mean the thing that I kind of angle it towards and like kind of do insinuate genuinely like not being able to see your privilege as like a white homeowning person with like a huge platform and a lot of money yeah like a lot I say a lot but like enough money to live very comfortably I think to me it feels like just being a victim for so long and then not being able to recognize when you're being you're being the the victimizer mm-hmm. yeah then that in itself makes total sense as to why like there's a resurgence of it now amidst like the biggest civil rights movement all of a sudden we're getting like yeah cisgendered women and like lesbians being like no we're not gonna say that we're struggling with the fact that we've got white privilege what we're instead gonna say is we've got an issue with women only spaces and trans bodies and you know what I mean? It's basically them not saying I've contributed to a racist society. It's like another thing to say, no, 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 I'm still a victim. Like this, the world is still difficult for me. Yeah. And it's like, the thing is that women and trans women just face a lot of different struggles, but like a lot of the same kind of struggles. And it's just about, it just comes back to that. Like, just because someone else is struggling more than you doesn't mean that you're not also struggling in some kind of way. It is interesting to see like the kind of age divide because younger like cisgender feminists I think just seem to mostly feel that okay like the main argument with the single sex spaces is that like cisgender women need that like need that space they need that safe space but like over the last 10 years or like however many years with a conservative government and cuts like those spaces are so rare and they're like under so many funding issues um and they're disappearing and that is like a very very genuine problem but instead of just being like okay this is something that we need to sort out for cisgender women and trans women they're just being like no we can't have trans women in this space like we need it for the cisgender women but it's like I think younger people are able to see like our generation we're kind of just like well no like the problem is capitalism the problem is Tories the problem is 
all these other things and we need to overhaul the whole thing so that everyone is looked after like there's that generational split where in these pieces where women are arguing for like single sex spaces they're not thinking of the bigger issues they're being so like microscopic about it yeah and it's also like I feel like I don't know why like our generation or younger generations obviously there's like huge conversations kind of in like the feminist queer communities more so a few years ago about like this idea of a safe space which then kind of progressed to like safer spaces because no spaces are going to be 100% safe and like if you think about when you are going to encounter abuse or like trouble as a cis woman or a trans woman it's not going to be in like a toilet or in a pond it's going to be like at a bar or like somewhere that is like integrated anyway all of these spaces have been integrated anyway which is why I think it's like such a weird thing to bring into these conversations because it just doesn't look at yeah the way we deal with violence or aggression in society it just literally brings it down to a toilet cubicle which has literally no relevance on our lives anyway yeah and it puts a huge implication that violence is really subtle and yeah. it really and it happens like nuanced in spaces that are like well even just the whole toilet conversation it's like you know it's not necessarily something that happens in a specific place there's no like rule Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. To when you can experience violence and that that in itself just like totally reduces the conversation about like blatant male violence and then also like domestic violence as well. I also think there's like a misconception around trans rhetoric and like people that maybe wouldn't consider themselves transphobes but then like very easily fall into like transphobic tendencies or are transphobic and just don't want to admit it in the fact that they like you know like trans women are women argument and I feel like there's a lot of conversations in transphobic circles that by like allowing in quote unquote trans women 
into like the women category we are not making enough room for difference which is like absolutely so ridiculous and again maybe it's a whole second wave feminism thing and I mean essentially what it all comes down to is intersectionality because if you're going to say like womanhood is one thing whether that's whether you like bleed or whether you have experienced violence or whether basically people like JK Rowling are saying my version of womanhood is the only correct one and it doesn't make room for like class race bodily differences like disability as well as like gender nonconformity and trans women and I just find it I find it really difficult to kind of be able to in my head realize that some people don't think about these intersections on like a day-to-day basis like I think that's what I struggle with yeah and I think that's where like some of the like anger from trans people and trans allies comes from because I think it's so second nature to us to like be constantly learning and like reassessing like what categories and boundaries and like these things mean and like within like identity politics so it's it's not a big deal to us but I think it just shows that even like a 10 20 year age gap makes so much difference with this kind of stuff and the main thing like I just wanted to say about the piece as well is that it made me really sad speaking to the different trans writers that I've like grown up in my 20s reading and being like really obsessed with just their writing and like the things they have to say and just them as people being like cool it was sad hearing that like the same story from each of them which was that like they came into the media landscape slash like writing or blogging or whatever wanting to challenge that like transphobia that they'd been reading in the papers and on seeing on tv while they were growing up or transitioning and then just getting into the media and realizing like what a fucking slog it is not only for like trans people but for people who come from like a working class background people who don't have all those kind of connections people of color like one of the criticisms like someone had of the piece which is complicated and pretty fair enough at the same time was that I'd only spoken to white women, white trans women in the piece, which it's like, again, just speaks volumes about like, who is allowed to speak in the media anyway. But yeah, and then they would just get after, you know, being in that cycle of like, being asked to talk about their identity and, you know, go into the same debate that we've been having for like, years now of like, whether trans women or trans people are who they say they are just getting totally exhausted and really burnt out and like it affecting their mental health and like just them not having like the support and the structure that they need to have a sustainable career and like luckily the people that I spoke to all have really good careers but like Sean and Paris Lees for example were just like yeah it's you know I mean Paris was just like yeah I'm just gonna leave the country because I've semi-retired from the media anyway she's just working on her book which I'm sure will do immensely well like it will do really well but yeah she's just like peace I'm out like I can't handle this anymore so it's just like such a media problem that we need to hear these voices but if workplaces and if like editorial isn't kind of you know doing good reporting on trans issues if it isn't like looking after trans staff if it keeps publishing anti-trans views trans writers like how are they gonna 
how are they going to be in the mainstream? How are they going to like report on things that matter to them? It's it's really insane. I think this is like absolutely a problem as well. Like if you think about it um, with more established media platforms or like not even just newspapers, but like other like independent, you know, bigger independents that aren't independents anymore. And it's like the editorial teams kind of have good intention because they want to publish these voices and whatever. But there isn't the duty of care that comes with like such sensitive things and like all these intersections of identity whether it's you know whether it is being trans or whether it is being like a person of color or disabled or fat for example you're constantly I mean like me and Hannah have talked about the stories like you're just I remember it's like literally one of the first conversations we had Hannah you're just constantly expected to like roll your trauma out and it's a problem because these editorial desks even though they can see the importance of getting those stories out there to them it's kind of just like oh a fun little story like oh we can have this perspective and they don't understand the weight and the responsibility they're putting on these marginalized writers and that is something that like needs to change so rapidly and I just don't know how it can structurally because so much of the British media is built upon this aristocratic like hotbed of people that are extremely privileged already yeah I think that like this isn't even to do with what we're talking about but like COVID is I guess going to mean that hopefully media is spread more regionally rather than everyone feeling like they have to be in London which is such a financial drain on people and like it's just not sustainable for like anyone without moneyed parents (laughs) it's completely unsustainable so I think hopefully that will I think that will help yeah for sure but it's also about like you need people not only as your freelance writers you need people on editorial teams and being editors like you know you need like trans or working class on your editorial teams like you can't just have them writing like 100 pound op-eds Mm-hmm. every week when like the news cycle starts to like rip through like your your identity <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah 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 and also just like not pigeonholing people to like identity specific pieces hmm. like you can't just expect a trans writer to just write on trans rights just in the same way you can't just expect a person of color to write just on racism like every person with basically the more privilege you have the more scope you have to write on anything and never really in defense of yourself yeah. yeah and it's even just like that emotional process of being like okay you're being dragged in the media we'll pull you in because that's one of the things I was like wanted to ask Hannah so when I read your article that was the main thing that I felt that was like it became really clear that it well it just is really clear that journalism for trans writers is just not a good environment to be in and when it said in it that they're like withdrawing from the media then I was like okay so what what can we do as like media consumers? And I know because it's one thing me and I only spoke about that we were like, we want to platform trans voices however they want to speak. We don't want to be like, okay, so we want to pull you in because this is going on now, whatever we've... So I guess there's kind of a question, Hannah, of like, what can people do as like consumers? If you know the answer to that. I think it's just about like, yeah, like sharing and showing like public and online support for diverse voices. And like one thing that's been really good about like this whole pandemic and everything happening is that it's really made me reassess 
something that I was already thinking about before, but like really putting my money where my mouth is in terms of like independent, well, producers and like writers and creative people and publications that I really want to support that aren't necessarily just like mainstream. I think that's the main thing you can do. Yeah, I think reading your piece, I was thinking about this last night. The main thing is kind of what you've already said. So don't know if I'm just repeating what you said, lol. But like, it just made me so deeply sad thinking about all the voices that maybe like even beyond like Paris and Sean and all these people that have like luckily been able to kind of wade through it and still have a great career. But all of the people maybe like pre-internet or like pre social media would have been lost like through newsrooms and like through editorial teams because they just like couldn't put up the fight anymore of like trying to be accepted as like a human being whatever that intersection is and like how that silent erasure must have like contributed to this so much which I think is just like deeply troubling if you actually think about how long this must have been going on for and how it can kind of seem like a fairly contemporary fight because obviously there's such a spotlight on it due to Twitter and like Mumsnet and all of these things that this like deeply insidious kind of removal of marginalized people within our media must have been going on like far before we've even worked and born probably yeah 100% that's why in the piece I tried to show the timeline of it all with like Juliet which is this really great writer but like a little bit like kind of the generation before like or half a generation a generation before like Paris and then Paris Lee's then kind of like a couple of years after she'd been getting really popular on Vice like then Sean comes through and it's like this whole chain of like all these people who have have like optimism and ideas about their voice and like what it's gonna do and then just feeling like doing extremely well but feeling like yeah all that like horrible pressure and like the toll that it must have on your mental health and yeah and it's like these are we're talking about like I talk about only a few people in that piece but I'm just like think of all those other writers who have just you know maybe done a couple of op-eds for like the independent or something and then just been completely wiped out by like online abuse or just like lack of care I don't know I haven't really like got anywhere with this but I think it would be good to think about like how cis people can be better allies yeah I think that's important to like talk about and end on especially like cis women I mean I think we're kind of beyond the point where these columnists are getting put on pedestals we do kind of elevate these voices still because you know it's easy to be like they have this bad opinion but they've done good work at some point it's easy to be like oh but they have been good on some topics. And I feel like that is a thought process we need to kind of just like disregard. Yeah. And I think it's just like, it's the same as what everyone had with like Jermaine Greer, right? Like me at you, like reading all her stuff and literally took until, it honestly took until like me leaving uni and like just like meeting like more diverse people. Cause at my uni, it was just like loads of just posh white people (laughs) predominantly and like meeting different people and like, having my views challenged and like reading more widely I guess and just like learning more it's not until then that I was like oh wait no like Jermaine Greer is a transphobe like the pet like it I didn't learn about it and the penny didn't drop until a lot later and I think it's just like realizing that yeah these people you might have like looked up to them or their work at some point but it's about being like 
it's about recognizing like how much power feminists and like columnists have in like this ideas and attention based like economy because it's a lot and I think we have like so much responsibility as like people that I really hate saying identify as feminists but you know that are feminists in our practices and what we do because even just doing this podcast for example when we've had American trans guests on I've had to have conversations with like these people's managers or these people's teams where it's been like oh but you identify as like a British feminist publication does that mean you're transphobic like in America our reputation and like that label of feminist is so soiled and we need to like really think about that and how we can frame like not frame that but how we can just make it like abundantly clear that I mean I don't know why they're called feminists anyway it's so stressful but like I think it's definitely like a lot of deep interrogation as to yeah we're just seen so differently in America even if you are like young and like progressive and running like a good publication like the whole of feminism is kind of marred at this point yeah yeah and I just think it's really important for cis women who identify as feminists and white women to think about to really really talk about think about and work deeply on like weaponizing fragility mm. I think it's like so similar to the race conversation like like white women's fragility cis women's fragility like it's really it's being weaponized across the board against people more marginalized and I think like having very like we need to be having those conversations because if we really want to challenge male violence and challenge transphobia we need to have a conversation about like in what ways that becomes nuanced as a weapon like when does that happen I think like that needs to be like a really frank conversation that's going on basically because it's like it's just not happening enough I think yeah and I think if you're someone who if you're someone who like for me like identifying as a feminist when I was a teenager was like such a life-changing thing for me and I think the older I get the more all it is is about like as like a white woman cisgender white woman peeling off the layers of like being like how can this be better how can this be more inclusive how can I like understand what this like word what this like I guess like identity or like political view kind of like what it means for me and like if it's something that for me it's all about like how I show that I care about other people and how I care about the world and how I care about like my community I think it's just about like seeing this as a really good opportunity to be like no you're not taking feminism away from me like you're not making it into something that I don't believe it is like don't think that like oh fuck like can I even it's almost like you feel like I can't even be I don't even want to be like a feminist if if it's been like Mm -hmm. hijacked in this way and like I think a really interesting thing is like a lot of younger people that I've spoken to for pieces and things in the past literally being like oh no I don't like I don't identify as a feminist because like of all these connotations and stuff and like because feminism hasn't done anything good for me like the thing is in that piece like Sean says that she's like writing the last chapter of her book and it's about feminism and she just says like it's the hardest one to write because you know in the name of feminism people have been women have been awful to me and I think it's just about being like no you're not taking my feminism away like our generation is going to make it into you know this next wave we're going to do the work I remember like Charlie Craggs posted 
a similar thing on International Women's Day being like kind of like oh fuck your International Women's Day because it doesn't have a place for me like feminists are the people that have done me like the most harm or like self-proclaimed feminists and I think that also goes back to how we kind of wrap feminism in individualistic identity politics and it's gone far away from like actual community care now we need to get back to community care in like every sense of that idea and that thought and we can't have a feminism that does just like yeah center the self because that is the easiest way in which like cis white privileged women can then just make everything about themselves do you know what I mean ourselves because I'm not distancing myself from that either but yeah yeah even the way that I'm like describing it being like really important to my own identity is like exactly the reason why I have to constantly like challenge it and be like the reason you're doing this isn't because of you it's because of like everybody Mm -hmm. that's what they're not seeing when people are like are pushing these views and like writing like blog posts and stuff it's like it's not about you it can't be about like your individual trauma like you have to look at the wider picture you have to look at everybody Thanks, Ioni. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you, Olivia. And I want to say thank you. I mean, I don't know if it sounds a bit like zappy, but I want to like sincerely thank all of the trans people in my life and in our community and all the non-binary, gender non-conforming people that have made like polyester such a rich and amazing platform and just want to, you know, reiterate that whatever we can do as a platform, we would like to be able to and that goes for any marginalized intersection of identity and I would like to specifically thank you know the trans women that have taught me and taken the labor to like not you know be such a positive presence in my life in whatever way that may be yeah oh yeah absolutely I just want to mirror that and thank you to Clarissa and Naya thank you to Gina and Carlin and Hattie and Jemima Next week, we'll be doing Obsessions again, which I'm excited about. I also wanted to say, if you would be so kind as to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, it really helps with our visibility and we would love for you to do that. We're also releasing the new newsletter cover this week slash today on socials so if you're listening to this on the Monday it comes out you should get to our socials and subscribe to the newsletter we are currently donating a pound of every three pound fifty a month subscription to various bail funds fundraisers that need it we're originally donating to the Minneapolis bail fund but they've been overwhelmed so we will be directing that cash to various different organizations which we will provide a list for but if you want to subscribe to the newsletter it's a monthly scene of online content you get loads of extra stuff you also know that some of your money is going to these fundraisers but it's also going towards making polyester financially viable at the minute paying our contributors making sure that we eat more than a pot noodle which is very much appreciated very much <laughs> thank you so much Ione. thanks olivia <laughs> bye bye Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.